So we are thrilled to be back for season two. And to kick it off, we have uh, Georgia legend, uh, lineman Clint Bowling, who has a long and storied resume. Uh, you know, 5A, uh, all 5A uh, at Chattahoochee. Am I correct on that in high school? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Four-year starter for the Dogs, 49 starts, all SEC, all American, eight years with the Bengals. Um, and just looking back at your career, just at Georgia alone, you played with just some serious dudes. You know, I went through kind of the start of your career and then, you know, when you finished up in 2010. And so here, here's the short list of the people you played with. Muhammad Massaquad, Stafford, Drew Butler, Thomas Brown, Noshon, Daniel Ellerby, Geno Atkins, Fernando Velasco, Aaron Murray, A.J. Green, Chris Durham, T.K., Tavares King, Orson Charles, Blair Walsh, Demarcus Dobbs, Akeem Dent, Justin Houston, Brandon Boykin, Bakari Rambo, and Alex Ogletree. I mean, you guys must yeah. have had some fun. We, uh, we, we did. There was a ton of talent. Um, somehow Drew Butler's name got thrown into that mix. Uh, <laughs> Drew's, well, uh, Drew's, Drew's a good buddy of mine, so I had to throw that in there. But, no, there was a lot of uh, talented guys. Um, I mean, I just remember when I first got there and just seeing, um, you know, the older guys, guys like Thomas Brown and Danelle Ellerby that were all seniors when I was a freshman and just seeing the way that those guys worked and at the athletes that they were and just the, the guys that kind of came in even after that. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty special. I mean, they, they just – you know, that's what they do at those big schools. They just churn out, you know, unbelievable athletes. It really is. It's amazing. And so other than Drew, who do you kind of keep, still keep in touch with? Um, so I, there's a there's a couple guys that I keep in touch with. Drew's obviously, you know, he lives down the road. So, you know, logistically we're close and see each other. Um you know, I keep in touch with a, a couple other guys, Logan Gray and Tanner Strickland were my roommates. Uh, so I try to keep in touch with them. But, you know, recently I went to um, Aaron Murray's golf tournament uh, a couple weeks ago. That was right outside Athens at the Georgia Club. Um, got to see a lot of guys there. Uh, you know, I saw Michael Bennett, who was a wide receiver, you know, a little bit after me. But we uh, he actually spent a little bit of time in Cincinnati when I was there. So I got to see him again. Um, and you know, I, a couple other guys, Derek rich, but then it's, uh, you know, guys that you just kind of run into occasionally in, in, in events and that stuff like that. I've ran into Rennie Curran at a bunch of different places. Uh, I was playing golf one day and a starter came up to me and he said that he was talking about how he was friends with Rennie Curran. And I was just thinking in my head, I was like, how does Rennie know this guy up here at uh, Cartersville right now? <laughs> Right. So it's uh, it's funny just the uh, the connections that you make and the guys that you keep in touch with. But, um, you know, I try to keep in touch with as many guys as I can. And I'm sure it's almost like one, you know, big extended fraternity almost. You know, one guy introduces you to another guy and you just have that instant credibility and instant bond just by being dogs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, I just thought, you know, Ben Jones, him and I, you know, obviously, you know, Career-wise, we both got to play a little bit, um, so we don't get to see each other a ton. But you know, we check in every now and then just to see how everybody's doing, see what's going on. They do, uh, they do do a number of events. Um, like, no, I know next Saturday I'm going to be going to practice. They're doing a Letterman scrimmage and uh, lunch. Um, 
you know, there's a golf tournament revolving around that. Um, so, you know, I try to try to get back now that I'm here. Uh, I try to get back for as much stuff that I can. Um, and I've been able to do that the last few years. So are you a good golfer? I like to play a good bit. I, um, I was not a great golfer until I retired and then I, uh, I got to spend a lot of time practicing and I've gotten a lot better since then. Well, it's probably hard to be a good golfer when you're six, five, three, eleven. So what's your playing weight these days? Uh, so I've actually lost a good bit of weight since I got done. I did play at around 305, 310. Um, and right now I'm probably about 255, 260. Um, so I've lost, you know, around 50 pounds to, to get to where I am. Um, you know, walking when I play golf definitely helps. Um, but I enjoy playing. It's a fun game to me. It's a, uh, it's a new challenge for me now. So that's, uh, what I spend a lot of time doing. I noticed that you did not divulge your handicap. Is, is that a closely guarded secret? No, it's not. It's not a secret. I hover. I'm a probably about a three right now. I think maybe wow. two, five, three, something or along those lines. So it uh, it comes and goes pretty quick, though. So, but um, you know, I can I can go low, I guess, every now and then. Well, that's way lower than I could go. So you're just being humble. So like your average drive goes how far? Um, you know, I have you know, it's one of those things. It just depends. Um, you know a bunch of things I could crank it out there around 290, 300, I guess, if I needed to try to try to keep it in the short grass though. I need to keep you in mind for an upcoming member guest. <laughs> Absolutely. I love golf tournaments. I love member guests. Member guests are always fun weekends. So. Absolutely. So speaking of, of dogs, you, it seemed like Cincinnati really liked dogs. I mean, when you played, you had AJ on your team, you had Geno Atkins, uh who else man we, Robert Gathers. we could go down the list um you know aj and i got drafted the same year together um and so we got there gino atkins got drafted the year before when i had gotten there they had dennis Rowland and robert gathers yep. were on the team yep. um orson charles got drafted a few years after me sean williams got drafted a few years after me um Kwame Gathers um, was there for a little bit of time. Um, man, I know I'm drawing a blank on uh, Michael Bennett, like I had mentioned earlier, was there for a little while. And um, I know there's some more guys that I, I just can't think of right now. But there was a point in time where we probably had nine or ten Georgia guys on the team. Um, so I and guess in that situation, the Bengals organization knows that the University of Georgia program is going to crank out NFL-ready athletes. And so they may – specifically target them and think, you know, if it's between this guy coming from Georgia and this guy coming from wherever UNLV, we're going to take the Georgia guy. Yeah. I, and if you were to go down that roster, when I was there, there was a lot of guys from Alabama, Auburn, Florida, USC, um, where there was just a, they, and I remember talking to, you know, some scouts and different guys along along the way where you kind of ask those questions and they do like the guys at those bigger programs. Um, they know what they're going to get. They come, they know when a coach like coach Rick or Saban or anybody like that, you know, gives their, you know, praise or a, a good recommendation on a guy, they can take that, you know, to the bank. They believe that they trust those guys. And they also know that those guys have also played in big time college football games. Um, you know, to go play in a Georgia-Alabama game and to have that high pressure, high stakes where, 
you know, there might be 15 to 20 guys on the field at any point in time that are probably going to play in the NFL. I think they like those players, whereas opposed to like you just let's take UNLV. I mean, they're going to play in a week to week basis where there's maybe one or two other guys playing on the field at a certain time that are going to have the ability to play in the NFL. Yeah, that's exactly right. And speaking of Rick, you know, obviously you played for two extremely highly regarded coaches with Rick and and Marvin Lewis. So I guess I'll start with Rick. Tell me about what it was like, you know, to play for him and just the kind of guy he was. Obviously, he's very high character. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I love Coach Rick. He's a great guy. He's a great coach. I enjoy playing for him. Um you know, it, it was almost one of those things where a lot of it almost seemed like it was it was fake. It was too good to be true, but it's not that at all. Um, you know, the way that he preaches to us was the same things that he would do on his own time. Um, you know, nothing that he said or, or any expectations he set, you know, he wasn't going to just throw something out there that he didn't believe in. Um, and so, you know, I, I really do respect Coach Rick. I, I enjoyed playing for him. I enjoyed my time for, uh, with him. Um, you know, I got to see him uh, last year at the uh, Missouri game when they honored him on the field. I was really happy I got to see him. He, um, you know, and for him to come back and for them to honor him the way that they did, I thought that was really special to be there for. You will never hear anybody say anything bad about Mark Richt. And that is just a huge compliment to him and speaks to the kind of man that he is. Um, and, and then kind of, you know, at, along the same lines with Marvin Lewis. I mean, he was somebody that within the league was just extremely highly respected. And so what was it like moving from Rick to Mar Marvin Lewis? You know, it, it was kind of a, a similar, I guess, ordeal. I don't know if that's the or similar coach, if, if that's the best way to phrase it. Um, but Coach Lewis was, um, you know, very laid back. He was uh, – if you came in and worked every single day, then he was going to leave you alone. Um, you know, he obviously would coach you and push you in those things, but he was never anybody that was just going to be down your throat for no, for no reason at all. Um, like I said, if you just came in, you worked, you handled your business and you got done the things that you needed to take care of, you know, Marvin was great. And, um, you know, I enjoyed, you know, I played for Marvin for eight years. Um, and, you know, he, him and was pretty much one of the main constants throughout the career. I went through, uh, you know, two different O-line coaches in Cincinnati, a couple of different OCs, but Marvin was always there. And, and I respect Marvin. Um, you know, the, the organization in Cincinnati is kind of a unique place. Um, like I said, they, uh, but they're, it, Marvin was able to, to navigate that. And I, I think he did a great job with that. Um, and I, I enjoyed playing for Marvin. And, and I've heard great things about Cincinnati. I've just heard that it's a great, you know, great city, great sports city. They love their football. Did you, I guess you enjoyed your time living there too? I did actually. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, to, the, not to have that come across the wrong way, but it's more about, you know, Cincinnati doesn't have the resources that the Dallas Cowboys have. Um, they don't have the scouting department. They don't have the, the money there. They don't have the outside money that, you know, a, Stan Kroenke and the Rams have, or the new uh, Broncos owner with the Walmart money. You know, they just don't have those resources. And so they are, you know, having to be more, you know, particular about the way that they run their organization. But overall, I enjoyed my time in Cincinnati. Um, I think I, I enjoyed the Brown family. Mike Brown 
is an extremely loyal guy. Um, and, you know, like I said, you come in there and you work and you show them what, what you're all about. They're going to take care of you and do the best thing for you. Um, and so, I, like I said, I enjoyed my time in Cincinnati, the city itself. I really enjoyed living there. We lived uh, just outside on the other side in northern Kentucky in an area called Fort Thomas. I could get to downtown Cincinnati in five minutes. But there's some great restaurants up there, some great places to hang out. And, uh, you know, it, it grew on me. It changed a lot as I because I got there in 2011. I left in 2019. And like any other place, you know, it changed. Um, but for the better, I enjoyed it, like I said. And it's a uh, have not been back since I retired, but I, uh, I would like to go at some point in time in the future. So one thing you just said that was interesting to me is a, about Cincinnati not having the resources. The organization didn't have, say, a Dallas or, you know, whoever, which I didn't know that. I just figured that it's just a complete level playing field, organization to organization when you get to the pros. So when somebody like this past year, you know, when the Bengals get in the playoffs, it's almost like you're saying true underdog. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, The the when you go back or you can look at the, let's talk about scouting departments, you know, Cincinnati's, uh, you know, in all honesty, it's a mom and pop organization. Um, you know, it's a family run business. And so they run it kind of like a family run business. Their scouting departments a little bit smaller than say Dallas, Dallas might have 20 to 25 scouts. Cincinnati might have five to six. Um, you know, you talk about the, the money aspect, um, I mean, this is kind of get into the the fine, you know, but let's talk about Joe Burrows coming up, his contract. He's going to want a fully guaranteed contract. Well, part of that is, is you have to put a certain percentage of that in an escrow account. So let's say the Bengals go put up, I don't know, call it $100 million into an escrow account that they have to guarantee towards uh, Joe Burrow. That ties up a ton of money for what the Bengals are doing. If Stan Kroenke for the Rams needs to throw in $100 million for an escrow account for Matt Stafford, probably a little bit easier for them to do it. And that's where, you know, you go through that the contracts and the ability to get guys re-signs and going down that path. Um, that's kind of the, the resources, you know, going through free agency, going through scouting, going through, you know, the, the different ins and outs of that. Um, you know, their marketing departments, the whole nine yards. It's just that the, those companies are bigger companies than what the Bengals are. Well, I never knew that. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So just um, one thing I discovered about your career at Georgia that, that also found fascinating is you played in two vastly different blackout games. You had the <laughs> yes, blackout game with Alabama, which, yep. of course, we lost. Um, mm -hmm. and I was at that game. And then there's, of course, the one with Auburn, which we won, which was the famous Soldier Boy game with Vern yeah. and Gary, you know, dancing in, up in the booth. Mm -hmm. So tell me, at what point during the week do the players find out that they're going to be in black jerseys, and how does that, how does that transpire? Yeah, I got the, uh, the highs and lows of the, uh, the, the home game blackouts. Um, you know, so then 07 was my freshman year. Um, and that was the first time we did the blackouts. And um, the story I heard after the fact was the seniors were well aware of it during training camp, um, where there was going to be a game during the season where we were going to wear black jerseys at home. They had the Auburn game kind of earmarked for it. 
And apparently the seniors were the only ones that know. And they it did come pretty they held it pretty tight to the vest. I had never heard of it. I was also a freshman, so I didn't have a ton of, uh, you know, networking abilities, I guess, at the time to get some uh, details like that. But um, I remember the week of Coach Rick asked all the fans to wear black jerseys. We had warmed up in our normal jerseys. And at that point in time, once we had warmed up, you go back into the locker room and you have five to 10 minutes, not a ton of time to change jerseys. So when we had originally got to the stadium and had the our red jerseys, everybody was like, oh, man, we ain't doing this. And so when we went back in, we uh, they originally changed. They had all the equipment guys start changing jerseys and we ran out on the field. And that was one of the best feelings ever. I mean, just to, to go out there in that stadium for the first time. Um, just to see the excitement that everybody had. It was awesome. It was a ton of fun. We got to wear them again and um, the Sugar Bowl that year against Hawaii. That game obviously went really well. And then the next uh, year with the Alabama game, that wasn't much of a secret um, where, you know, kind of leading up to that week, we uh, we had made it known that we were going to wear our black jerseys. Obviously, uh, that game didn't go the same way, but, you know, as a motivational uh tool that coach Rick was using at that time. Um, you know, I thought it was great, you know, especially the first time. I mean, there was no chance Auburn was winning that football game with the excitement level that we had. And I think even the fans, you know, were kind of like the players at that point when you guys saw the red jerseys thinking, Oh, it's not going to happen because they sent the team captains out with their Mm -hmm. red jerseys on. And I, I remember correctly, they ended up taking those off and had the black jerseys on underneath. Is that, yeah, is that right? I, I, don't, I can't remember how that played out, whether they did it at the sideline or but I do remember when they went out with those jerseys and we ran out with our black jerseys. Um, I mean, that was one, that was just a great game. It was awesome. It was a ton of fun. And then you have that paired up with the uh, the dancing, the soldier boy dance on the <laughs> sideline. I, I did not mix it up into that dance, but. <laughs> Um, personally, but, you know, just to see the excitement that everybody else had, the, the energy that was in the stadium that year, that game, it was a uh, great feeling. It was, you could feel it. I was, for some reason, I wasn't at that game, but I mean, you, it was, you could feel it through the T. It was just amazing. Yeah. So when you think back, or even now, who's the team that, that you like in the SEC to beat the most? Is it, it's not Tech, they're not even in a rival anymore, really, is it? Florida is it Auburn? Yeah, I guess I would. You know, Tech never really as a rivalry hit home with me. Um, you know, we did lose to them one year. Um, I believe that was in '08, actually. Um, but that just that that's not the same that I feel like it was. You know, 20, 30, whatever years ago. Um, but you know, these days, especially when I was in school, I always said Florida was probably up there at the top of my list of teams that I kind of disliked. Auburn was up there. Um, you know, we got to play Alabama twice, won one, lost one. Um, but, you know, overall, for me personally, it was definitely a, a, a Florida and Auburn thing, I would say. And, and back then, you know, you're going up against Spurrier. You're going up against the mastermind. Who was, who was Auburn's coach at that time? Uh, Urban Meyer came in. I can't remember when he got there, maybe 05, 06, something like that. So he, oh, was, he was there, there by with- then? Yeah, so Urban Meyer okay. was the coach when we were playing, um, and we had some highs and lows against Florida as well. My freshman year was a uh, pretty interesting freshman year. You know, you go through the Alabama game where we did the dog pile in the end zone when we won at their place in overtime. We had the Florida game where we rushed the field um, after our first touchdown. You had the blackout game. You had the Sugar Bowl 
Um, we were right on the cusp of making it into the um, national championship. But at that time, they were still doing the BCS. I think we finished third or fourth or something like that. But we were just right outside of it where, you know, if it was today, I mean, there's no doubt we would have been in the playoff. We were absolutely rolling at the end of the year that year and playing some great football, got to play and then go and play Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl. And that game was a uh, mismatch from the start. It was. And, you know, that there was an ESPN campaign that year that was pretty obvious that they wanted Ohio State in that mm -hmm national championship yeah. which still chaps me to this day but um that's another topic for another show um yeah. and, and so yeah you started out pretty much you know top of the heat your first mm -hmm. year and then each year it kind of went in the wrong direction you know by the time you left it was a, a six and seven years so what what did what did you learn from that you know that progression um, or regression I always joke. I said we got worse as I uh, my career went, went along. The older I got, the worse my career, our career at Georgia went. Um, you know, from uh, freshman to sophomore year, we lost a lot of um, a lot of senior leadership, and that we just really weren't able to to replace when we were preseason number one. Um, you know, we lost guys like Thomas Brown, Fernando Velasco was a huge part of our offensive line my freshman year. Um, cause we had so many young guys playing, um, you know, we had myself, Chris Davis, Trenton Sturdivant, we're all playing young guys. And then we lost Fernando, uh, Chester Adams was the other senior, but, you know, losing some guys, some guys like that, we just, you know, and at that point in time, we weren't, you know, me personally, I wasn't in a, in a great spot to, you know, I tried, I just wasn't where I would have been maybe my senior year, if that makes sense. Um, and then so we did lose some leadership where that hurt. And then after that, um, you know, in 08, we just lost a ton of talent after uh, after the 08 season. We lost Stafford. We lost Noshawn, um, you know, those kind of guys. And then so Joe Cox came in, um, you know, and so we just and then you have Aaron Murray's freshman year. Um, so as, as it was just one of those things, there's a variety of reasons of, of why it happened. Um, but, you know, we lost leadership one year. We lost talent the next year and uh, just, you know, took a while to get it going again after that. You know, obviously, by the time Aaron's senior year rolled around, I think they were playing in the SEC championship. So, um, you know, it's just it's like anything else. Things come and go. It's up and down. There's cycles to, to everything. And if anything, it almost prepares you for the pros because, you know, you lose so many more games in a pro season than you do in a college season. Yeah. You know, you might go um, nine, you might lose seven games in the pros to go to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't remember what my, our record was of my rookie year, but uh, you know, we were probably right around that nine and seven mark and, and ended up making the playoffs. Um, you know, my playoff career in Cincinnati wasn't far off with the way that finished in <laughs> Georgia. We uh, made it five years in a row and went and five in, uh, in those playoff games. So just never really was able to get over the hump in that situation either. So switching gears a little bit to, to this season where, you know, our O-line is right now looked at as a strength. Have you taken a deep look at, you know, who we got coming back, like Broderick Jones, Van Pran, Ratledge, some of those big guys? Yeah, you know, I, I, so we were actually just at uh, practice on Saturday. Um, you know, we uh, I also had our our my wife and three kids there, so I wasn't able to really watch practice like the or the scrimmage like I really would have enjoyed, I guess. Um, 
but you know, I think at the at the front end, the uh, the tackles, you know, they look good. The center's a solid player. Um, you know, I don't keep up with the, uh, the the roster battles. I guess if that's the best way to phrase it. Um, you know, once those guys get playing, and the thing is, they're going to end up having to play multiple guys anyways. Like they're not going through and setting a lineup day one with five guys, and you're going to roll through the rest of the season like that. Guys are going to get banged up. They're going to have to move around. They're going to have to need some depth. Um, and I, you know, I think back on my career there, I played, you know, right guard, right tackle, left tackle, you know, guys are going to have to move around guys. The other guys are going to have to play. That's just part of it, um, where they, they have to move people. Um, but, you know, I have nothing but good things to say about coach Searles. I think he's, um, you know, he's, I, I enjoyed playing for him when I was there. He was tough. He was hard nosed, um, but I respect him. Um, you know, same, same thing like coach Rick and coach Lewis, if you worked hard, you know, Coach Searles was going to, you know, you know, be tr uh, fair to you. But if you were lazy and didn't want to work, then he was going to be hard on you. Um, and so I, I enjoyed my time with Coach Searles. I think he's going to be a really good, you know, he is a good coach. Um, you know, and so I'm glad to see that he's back and, uh, you know, nothing but good things to say about him leading the, uh, the line there. So I didn't realize that he was there when you were there. So was he your coach for all four years? Yeah, so he um, – when I actually committed, it was uh, Neil Calloway was the O-line coach, and he had left while I was committed before signing day to go to UAB. And Coach Searles had gotten hired um, before signing day. So Coach Searles was my O-line coach for four years. And then ironically, um, you know, Todd Hartley was a GA when I was in school, and he's back coaching tight ends now. Coach Bobo was obviously our OC. He's back now. Um and then so you do have a, a couple guys that are uh, kind of back there now that, uh, you know, that were there when I was originally there. They made a couple stops in between, but uh, but now they're back. Muschamp wasn't there when you were there, was he? He was not. He was not. And so mm -hmm. where did Serrells go in the in the time between uh, being at Georgia and coming back? Do you know, um I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. I think he went to Texas for a few years. He had went to Virginia Tech for a few years. And then he went to Miami back with Coach Rick again. And then was at UNC for a few years. And now he is uh, obviously back at Georgia now. So, Well, if, if Kirby wants him, then that's all I need to know, right? Yeah, yep. I would, you know, those kind of places, you know, the, the, those coaches are going to come and go. Coordinators are going to leave. Guys are going to get promoted and you're just going to have to find and, you know, replace guys. And that's just part of it. But it, it but when you are able to replace them, you're going to get the, uh, the pick of the litter at that point in time for O-line coach, OC, DC. I mean, that's a coveted job and everybody's going to want a piece of that. Um, so like you said, if Kirby's picking them, they, they're picking them for a reason. Exactly. And I think, you know, these guys that do come back, it's a huge compliment to the program, like Coach Searles and, and you know, Muschamp. He could probably go somewhere and be a head coach. But mm -hmm. to me, it's it makes perfect sense. You know, he's been a head coach. He knows what goes into that. Why would mm -hmm. you not want to come back to Athens and just do what you love? And that's coach defense. Yeah. And he's good at it. Um yeah. And, you know, you don't have to deal with all the other, you know, administrative stuff that, you know, a head coach has to deal with. Um, and so, you know, of course, they got a couple different heads. You got Coach Bobo, who's got some head coach experience, obviously, Kirby, Muschamp. So you got a ton of different, you know, well-respected 
coaches that have done, you know, the whole nine yards, head coach, OC, DC, but for somebody like Muschamp just to get back to his roots and kind of just coaching defense and not have to deal with all the little things that probably you don't want to have to deal with where you just want to coach ball, you know, that that's probably the best case scenario for some of those guys. No, absolutely. Best case scenario for them and us. Yeah, absolutely. So moving away from football, you, you met your wife, Kelly, at Georgia, correct? I did, yes. And and she's not from Atlanta, or she is? No, she's from Atlanta. She kind of grew up in the uh, Forsyth County area. She got to Georgia, uh, I think, about two years after I did. But we uh, I always joke and say it's our uh, the classic Athens love story. We met in a bar in downtown Athens at about 1 a.m. <laughs> and uh, started uh, – you know, started dating since then. And, uh, obviously we were married with three kids now. So, uh, right. we've, we've come a long way since then. First of all, which bar? It was in bourbon street. <laughs> bourbon street. I love it. Okay. So yeah. your kids, your kids are what age? We have four, three and six months right now. I got two girls and a boy. Wow. No wonder you look a little bit tired. I mean, four, three and six months. That's about, I've got three kids. They're all grown. Yeah. But I, I just remember how busy that is. And I mean, once you get the kids finally to bed, you just, you're exhausted. You can't do anything else. You can't do dishes, you can't do clothes. You just collapse. Yeah. I mean, we, everybody's like, what time you put them to bed? I'm like, well, we started at seven and we're back downstairs <laughs> at about 8.15 or 8.30. Um, but no, it's a, uh, it, it's a, one of the best feelings it's for parenting. It's, it is an absolute grind. I had to sleep in my daughter's bed last night because she was crying about something and I just fell asleep in there. I didn't want to get up. So here I was curled up in this, you know, little full size bed, sleeping at an angle with her. Um, so it's just, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling, but it is an absolute grind. There's some uh, some long days apart with that it, that are revolving around it. There is. And as you know, it, it's worth it. And, and And it's also so much fun, you know, I'm sure even more so for you having played for Georgia, but just to take them back to games, you know, usually you take them to the games that aren't as stressful, you know, the Kent States, yeah. not yeah. The Auburn, but, yeah. um, no. and even go ahead. No, we were, we were kind of going through our calendar um, a couple of weeks ago and trying to get some things lined up for the fall. So we're lining up child, you know, the grandparents to watch them for the Auburn game, but we're going to take them to the Vanderbilt game. Um, so we're, you know, we are going to, you know, we've taken the kids back. Ironically, um, we took our, my oldest daughter at our first game during COVID. And that was awesome because there's nobody around yeah. us. I didn't yeah. worry about if she was kicking somebody or what. I was just letting her have fun and watching the game. Um, but we do try to take them back. Um, we'll take them to a number of games this year. We won't take them to the ones that, you know, where it's going to be a little bit crazy, like an Auburn or Tennessee game. But you know, I, I do enjoy bringing them back to, to campus and letting them see uh, see what the dogs are all about. I hope I don't eat these words, but, you know, Auburn may be a game to bring your kids to this year based on <laughs> what Vegas thinks on the over-under of the number of games they're going to win, which is currently sits at six, which is yeah. crazy. Well, in a perfect world, we'll go down and enjoy it. But it's just more, you know, a rivalry game like that, you know, it's probably going to be uh, best to leave them at home. But at the same time, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, they're in a, they're like we said, everything comes and goes and there's spurts, you know, there's ups and downs, just like every program has. Um, and, you know, I think Auburn's kind of going through it right now with uh, some changes, but I'm sure 
over time they're gonna um you know figure something out and you know get the right guy in there and go from there speaking of coming back for games so is there do they have like a letterman tailgate for you guys to come to to bring your family you know just as a way for everybody to kind of get together mm -hmm. and Something yeah, like they that. do. Um, they do some different events. Like I mentioned, um, you know, next weekend they're doing a Letterman uh, where they're inviting former Letterman back to practice. Um, you know, there's other. You know, I'm, I'm parking in a Letterman lot for game days. Uh, they do have that Letterman area for uh, for pregame where you could go down there. So there are some different different things that they do um, for for the former players. We actually just went through the process and got our season tickets for the first time this year. So I'll have my own tickets um, for the first time um, where I don't have to, you know, try to call somebody and be like, hey, can I come to the game or you got extra tickets or family friends that had some extra tickets. So I got my own tickets finally. Um, and like I mentioned, we're going to try to get back there for as many games as we can. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's about all of uh, the questions I can think to ask you. Um, yeah. You got anything for me? No, absolutely. Was, I, uh, I enjoyed the show. I was, uh, I, you know, obviously we had to work through some technical difficulties. Uh, you know, it's probably my more my fault than y'all's fault, obviously. But uh, no, I enjoyed meeting you guys and chatting and, uh, you know, talking some football. It's uh, yeah. I don't get to talk on a football at my house. My boy's six months old. He can't really figure it out yet, and my girls just don't really care about football. They enjoy the Georgia football games. They enjoy the pictures with Harry Dog, but to actually break down some X's and O's, they aren't really into it right now. Uh, I understand. Well, anytime you want to talk about it, I can't find enough people to talk yeah. about it with, and I like to talk about it year-round, you know, breaking down the schedule, the roster, you name it. I, I'm a fanatic. I can't get enough of it. It's, you know, it's what I love. I, you don't even probably know this. I, so I was at Georgia 89 to 93. Okay. My wife was there 90 to 94. Uh, I've got a son there now who's a sophomore. My okay. daughter graduated, my daughter graduated from there and her twin brother is currently getting his it masters from there. That's awesome. So we got five dogs in the house. That's pretty good. That's good company right there. Well, good for you guys. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we can't get enough of it. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I appreciate you guys having me on here, and uh, we'll definitely have to chat again at some time in the future. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Clint. All right. No problem. Nice to meet you guys. You too.